Terry, and before we get into the, the message for the day, I always like to be in the book of Proverbs. So here's a proverb from chapter one, because today's the first. Tracking with me, right? Okay, simple. Um, verse seven, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And every parent said amen to that, right? <laughs> no, I guess not. Okay, so um, anyway, so it's good to have you. It's just really, I'm, I'm awesome. it's awesome that you're here and... Um, to acknowledge the power that Jesus has over the grave and over death. I mean, that's what uh, Resurrection Sunday is all about. And I, I really don't believe that a single person is here by accident, that you just decided on a whim or somebody asks you. There was something also that happened in your life that was supernatural that the, 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 the Spirit describes as the fact that the Father draws people. And so you might think you came here because you just agreed or capitulated or, or maybe you willingly came, but I think there's also something sovereign. Today is the second of a two-part message series um, that I'm calling Jesus is Coming Back. And um, the reason that he's coming back is because he has plans for his bride, the church. And uh, last week we, we looked in part one, we looked at how we can know that Jesus is who he said he is, God. Um, is, is, he really, is Jesus really God? Is, 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 is he really the only way to heaven? How can we know that? How can it be proven? Can it be proven? Well, the answer is yes. I really believe that it is. And we covered that last week in detail with specific examples. And so here I'm going to give you a couple of, I'm not going to re-preach last week's, but I'm going to give you a couple of them, a couple of ways. One is that creation gives us an understanding of who Jesus is. God has already shown himself Proven himself to every person in so many ways, but still somehow people suppress the truth. Romans 1 tells us this, For God has shown the truth to them, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Things that are made, that's the earth, that's the animals, that's the people, that's every single person who's ever lived. His invisible attributes are understood by the things that were made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creation rather than the creator. So people not only have rejected the Lord as Savior, but they somehow suppressed the truth about him, and they exchanged the truth for lies, for philosophies, um, according to their own preferences. And even though our creation, the earth, is skewed by the curse. Would you agree there are things wrong with the world? <laughs> okay, so there are things wrong. It's, it's, it's still enough. It's still enough for his attributes to be clearly seen, Scripture tells us, so that we're without excuse. And then the second reason that we spent time on last week is there are so many prophecies and predictions in the Scriptures that are all 100% accurate. Um, in God's word. And, and we, can, we, we went over last week scientific and mathematical. I even did some math. And um, um, so, yeah, I really believe that you can prove that Jesus is God. And we spent time on that last, last week. And if you're interested in that, that uh, message is available. It's free on the church website. And there are CDs out in the foyer. You can pick one up on the way out. If you're interested, we invite you to just to take one um, as you go today. So once we've established uh, that Jesus really is God, that the Bible really is God's word, that he, he really did lift himself out of the grave. Um, you know, that brings us to today's topic. What are his plans for us? And we could spend time on those things, um, um, but what are his plans? If, if this, since this is all true, today I, wanna, I want to discuss one of the, 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 the most amazing doctrines in the word of God, the rapture. 
the rapture. And that's one of, the, one of the biggest things going for the doctrine of the rapture is that it's true. It really is true. Jesus has plans for his bride. That's you and me. That's all who would call on the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior. And he really truly is coming back as he promised. The Bible is filled with discussions about um, end times when uh, he literally will return for his church. And in fact, there are over 1,800 references to end times in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament alone, over 1,800 places there are references. And in the New Testament, over 318, I think 300, over 300, anyway, about the return of Christ back to the earth. 23 out of 27 of the New Testament books give, give real prominence to this event. And for every prophecy about Christ's first coming, which we call Christmas, for every prophecy in the scriptures about that, there are at least eight about his second coming. So the scriptures actually talk quite a lot more about his second coming than it does about Christmas, about his first coming. It's a pretty big deal, pretty, big, pretty important. So the fact that the rapture is taught so much in scriptures um, um, creates a lot of questions. It really does. I mean, I, if, if you're like me, I got questions about it. And um, there were people alive in the, uh, about the time of Christ in a Greek city called Thessalonica. Thessalonica still is a city in Greece. In fact, it's the second biggest city in Greece today after Athens. A lot of people live there. Anyway, the people back at that time had a lot of questions, and uh, we have questions about it. So today we're going to look and see what happened when those people asked questions about what we, what we call the rapture, the second coming of the Lord. Now, I, I do want to say that the rapture is supposed to be good news, good news to believers. The Bible says, that, that says to comfort one another with these words in 1 Thessalonians. It's comforting to know the Lord's coming back. And it says the rapture is the Christian's, excuse me, the Christian's blessed hope. In Titus 2, it's called the blessed hope. So it's, I think it's important for us to know what the future holds and, um, for both believers and for people who don't know Christ yet. What does it talk about? So today, four, four key simple questions. We're not going to spend a lot of time today with me talking about this, but four key questions regarding the coming of the Lord that we know as the rapture. First question, what's the rapture? What is it? First Thessalonians 4.16. For the Lord himself, he's not sending an entourage of angels here. This is the creator himself, will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. Trumpets in the Old Testament were a sign of an announcement that God is coming. So that's where you see that in the, in the Old Testament. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, com comfort one another with these words. Time out. Pause for just a minute. I, I just had a sense during worship, and I didn't do something about it when I first came up, and I'm going to feel like I'm supposed to do it now, so I'm going to. Um, I, I want to pray for just a minute and uh, invite the Lord to um, circulate among our hearts while we're, while we're listening to his word. And here was what was on my heart. I can't pick up my phone and call Pete Carroll and talk to him about the defense. I could. He won't take my call. I can't call the governor. I can't call the mayor and have them drop what they're doing and talk to me. Sometimes my wife will take my call. <laughs> I can't do those things. I can't call President Trump. I can't call Angela Merkel. I can't, I can't, these people won't take my call. Yet the creator of the universe will attend my call. And it's something that, um, 
you know, during worship, you may not realize it. We weren't just standing and singing together. This wasn't a chorus meeting. This wasn't the choir meeting. This was a moment of all of us, individually and corporately, garnering the attention, the affection, and the praise of the king. And that's what happens when you pray. Let me just do that for a minute. Lord, I, um, <laughs> I don't even know how to start this prayer except to thank you, Lord, that you will listen to me. You listen to my heart, and even before the words come out of my mouth, you're already listening and have already, you already know my petitions. Thank you for that, Lord. I want to bring to you the, the petitions of every heart in this room. Without knowing what they are, I know, God, that you do. Would you visit upon us, Lord, your presence and with hope, bring healing and life and touch us in ways, Lord, that are supernatural in scope. Now, Lord, as we're in your word, minister life to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I was, should have done that before, and I got distracted. Anyway, so um, the question is, you know, what is the rapture? And we've just read, um, therefore, comfort one another with these words. So what is the rapture? The rapture is when the Lord comes in the air for his bride, for his bride. Most Bible scholars believe when the Bible speaks about the return of Christ, there are two different events that it's discussing, okay? There's the return of Christ for his church when um, you know, we're gathered up with him in the air. And we'll talk about more of that, about that later. And then there's a second coming of Christ when he returns with his church. And the rapture is the first one, this catching away of the bride of Christ, the, the, the church. And some people um, have looked at the scriptures and they've noticed and maybe objected that, hey, you know, okay, so you're teaching this thing about the rapture. Th that word rapture is not even in the Bible. Why are you using that word? Okay, fair enough. There are, of course, the Bible wasn't originally written in English, right? Okay. In fact, at the times of Christ, um, the, the copies that they had of the scriptures were combinations of some of the older writings were Hebrew and then, of, of course, Greek. Well, most of us don't speak Greek, so we buy Bibles that are translated into English. And there are other translations. There were translations from the Greek into Latin, um, which is called the Vulgate, and that's what the Catholic Church has used for years, for, for, for hundreds of years. In the Latin translation from Greek, there you find the word uh, rapiemer or raptura, from which we get our word rapture. And the English translated, translated for us from, from uh, Greek, from the Greek word is harpazo, which means a catching up. Okay, so that's where this whole thing of the rapture, and that's why we believe it's a snatching up or a catching away. The word literally means catching away by force. It's kind of like, you know, your dog is someplace you don't want it to be, and you grab it by the scruff of the neck, and it doesn't know you're coming. <laughs> and you have this loving thing, grab that little area, and you pull it away. You know, like, you don't, that, that is my potato chip. You stay away from my potato, Okay. <laughs> Um, oh, it's a different topic and a different kind of effect. But it's a, cap it's a snatching up, and it's by force, by loving force. Now, beyond the semantics of the word, the concept of the rapture, rapture is very clearly taught in Scripture. The rapture of the church is the event in which God removes all believers from the earth to make way for his righteous judgment to be poured out on the earth during the Great Tribulation. That's basically what we're talking about. And Scripture calls this event the blessed hope, the comfort of all believers in Titus 2. So the rapture is this event where the Lord comes in the air and he catches away his bride, the, the church, and it's the blessed hope, the comfort of all believers. Okay, second question. When is the rapture? Wouldn't you like to know? I'd like to know. 
I mean, everybody wants to know. We'd all like to know that. But the Bible makes it very clear. And these are the words of Jesus speaking that we cannot know the date. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. When you hear people tell you, hey, because there's going to be two blue moons or something. Like that. I mean, I heard chatter about that in the last year or so. Oh, there's going to be a certain number of you know, moons. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, well, if that's the date, if you're declaring that's the date, I know that's not when it will be. Because Jesus said, you can't know. When you hear people telling you it's going to be on a certain date at three in the afternoon, you, you, that's when you start looking for someone else to listen to. Okay? Because Jesus says you can't know. Although we can't know the date, God's word does describe the signs of end times. Okay? So let's look at them and see what Jesus has to say about that in Matthew 24. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For is, as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving, given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And he did not know until the flood came and took them away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. I've got this um, old lithograph piece of artwork hanging in my office at home, and I like to show this occasionally, and, and let's leave this up there for a little while if we could. Um, you can't see the detail, but I'm going to describe to you what's there if you could see it up close. This is from the early 1940s, I think. And this is supposed to depict the moment of the, uh, of the capturing up, the, the rapture. And you can see, I guess, um, Christian spirits or something floating up. You with me tracking so far? But where it gets more interesting is you look down at the ground level and see some of the details of the ground level. I'll tell you some of the stuff that's going on there. Um, by the way, this is artwork. This is not the word of God. This is not from which you should draw a doctrine. This was this artist's viewpoint. I don't, dis I don't agree with it completely. But you'll see, if you look up close, some of the little buildings on the hill have labels on them, and one says pool hall, and there's no one coming out of the pool hall. Um, I, I, I don't know about that. There's a theater, no one's coming out of a theater. There's a winery, no one's coming out of a winery. And it makes me chuckle a little bit because, you know, whoever believed this when they drew this doesn't understand the scriptures. Or Jesus' first miracle, which was at a wedding feast, he turned water into wine. Okay, so it's very clear that you can be in a winery and still, you know, be caught up, right? And I, in fact, I would say that being caught up has less to do with about where you are physically and more about where you are relationally with God. But it's cute and it's, it's interesting. There are other things in this picture that are kind of scary. There's a graveyard and you can see, you know, spirits coming out. There is a tent and there's a person still in a cot and the other person is kind of going up through the top of the tent. There's a church. And people are coming through the roof of the church. But if you look carefully, there's a lot of people walking out the front door and going home from church with their Bible in their hand. And they're not going. <laughs> you know, I think that's... Um, anyway, so um, I, I would suggest that you never make doctrine from artwork or, um, you know, social commentary. For certain, don't build doctrine from your opinion. Because your opinion will serve your interests rather than truth. Anyway, so... Um, you know, I, I think the, um, the problem in part with this, with the, with the doctrine that's in some of this is that the idea here is that you'll be saved based on what, what you do, how you perform, which in, instead of 
you'd be saved based on what you do instead of what Christ already did. And that's bad doctrine. That's really bad doctrine. In fact, that doctrine is an insult to Christ. It's like saying, well, Jesus, you did a really good job on the Christ. It was almost good enough. So now I'm going to do these things and live my life this way just to put you over the top. Do you get the insult that's there? And I know you would never mean to insult the Lord, but that's what that mentality does. That insult, that, 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 that mentality actually suggests that somehow you're capable of getting yourself saved based on the way you live your life. And it's a trap. It's a hellish trap. The truth is, I can't live good enough. So Christ loved me so much. He said, this Terry is a mess, but I love him anyway. I'm going to give him away and I'll pay the price for him. Thank you, Lord, for that. That's my real heart about this. And that's, I just, I, that, that's not licensed for me to go out and live like hell. My mom's not here. She'll probably be in the next service. She's probably would, you know, hear me say that. She'd say, why weren't you thinking this before? <laughs> anyway, I love that piece of artwork. So when is, the, when is the rapture? Jesus says we can't know, but he says we're supposed to watch. So, Here's a question that I get from people who dive down into this theology some, and they say, well, okay, um, when does does the rapture come before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, after the tribulation, and really smart people, smarter than me, think they have opinions about all three of those. They're wrong if they don't agree with me, but (laughs) (laughs) I believe that the rapture comes before the tribulation, before um, the wrath of God comes, and here's why. I think, it's, I think it's, it's clear that the, the rapture comes before the wrath of God. It's shown in 1 Thessalonians 5. It says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The alternative to wrath is the salvation of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 10. Wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And in fact, if you do a subject study and you look through scriptures, you'll find that when the wrath of the Lord came, there was always a deliverance first. Wrath of the Lord is coming, but the Lord delivers us from the wrath of the Lord. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't like to say the words from scripture, the Lord's wrath. I don't. You know, um, it's, and I don't do it very often because I really think that, that the Lord does not want you shaken and scared by this. He, he, he says we're to be comforted by these words. Second Thessalonians 2, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to, soon be, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or letter. The Lord doesn't want you scared. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So these Thessalonian people really wanted to know uh, about the harpazo, this gathering up, because they wrongly thought that they had missed it. You know, they were right to take it seriously because to miss it would be terrible. But they had not missed it. And the heart behind the Apostle Paul's words was to bring comfort and encouragement, not fear here. And that's the reason that we're in this passage today. I mean, there is a, this is a place for everyone to find comfort and uh, peace about this topic. And um, I'm going to get to that. So, I mean, don't let this topic bring fear, please. Instead, let it connect you with the heartbeat, with the spirit of what the, what the living God would want to say to you. Because Jesus makes some promises in John 16. He says, however, when he, 
the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. So the Holy Spirit, who circulates in the world today, will lead you to Jesus and to peace in absolute concert with, God, with God's word. It's always going to be in concert with God's word. So to help us watch for Christ's return, God's word discusses the signs of the end times. And here are some signs of the end times. These are things from scripture that says we'll be, you'll see in the world. First one, there's going to be a falling away from the truth in 2 Thessalonians. And right now, we're living in a time when Christians are falling away from the truth. Today, churches and sadly, even some entire denominations who used to believe the word of God um, no longer do. They really no longer would say, well, the Bible is the word of God. There's, and in, in, in places you can go, there, you'll find places where there is not the preaching of the word of God. There, there is not the believing of the word of God. There's no mention there about sin. Um, and without a discussion of sin, when you don't discuss sin, there's no conviction of sin. If you don't bring it up as an issue, there's no need for people to repent. Second Timothy 4 says, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And so people, many times, will just go to church wanting to hear words of encouragement, wanting to hear how to be the better you. And although that message is appropriate, and we do that message sometimes, it needs to be uh, more focused on the word of God and what God will do in your life, not what you can do for yourself. But people want to hear, you know, sometimes how God wants to bless you and, you know, to, to, to meet all of your dreams. And as if somehow the Lord, you know, if that turns the Lord into this, like, this, this heavenly bellhop. You know, some sort of a cosmic Coke machine where you put in your prayer and out comes your Coke. Or whatever it is that you're, that you're wanting. And he's supposed to snap too and do what we ask. Loved ones, that's not God. That is not who God is. Yet today we've got many, many churches that are falling away from the teaching of the word and just actually teaching that. Another passage, 2 Timothy 3 says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Look at the level that God puts that sin. Ungrateful. That's why, parents, you have to teach your children lovingly to obey you and to submit to your authority. If they can't learn to submit to, their, to your, your godly loving authority when they're little, however, how will they ever do it in life when they have a boss or a place where they have to learn to, to follow a leader? Okay, until they become the king of the universe, there's going to be someone with authority over them, right? So teach them when they're, lo when they're young. In your loving hands, that's one of the most loving things you can do is teach a child to, to obey you. Anyway. Um, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. People will be heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. Teachers, uh, treacherous, um, <laughs> sorry, treacherous, <laughs> reckless, swollen with conceit. I wanted to put owners of cats there, but I thought there might be. <laughs> Come on! Everybody knows dogs have bigger brains than cats. I'll prove it one of these days. Okay, so, okay. Last days, people will be swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I shouldn't joke about this. 
but it's heavy, and I guess I'm immature, okay? <laughs> Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Did you catch that last phrase? The appearance of godliness, but denying its power. That's the people in that picture walking out of the church with the Bible in their hand, but not flying. There's this falling away happening today. Paul says that a falling away will happen before the rapture. We're getting close. So when's the rapture? It comes before the tribulation period. Question number three, what happens at the rapture? What exactly happens? 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. I wonder what he'll yell. With the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. So what happens is the first thing that's going to happen is the dead in Christ are going to rise. Verse 14, for if we believers... Um, if we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. That's when he says those who sleep. It's referring to people who have died. And it won't matter whether they have turned into dust and fell over, or fell overboard and feed the fish or if they've been creamy. It won't matter. The Lord will call them together and uh, call them up and God will give us at that point what's, what, what's a, a glorified body that works for eternity. Listen. I got stuff that doesn't work <laughs> as well as it did when I was 18. Whatever. You don't have to agree so quickly. Okay, so, all right. So, so verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. This is a mystery to you and me because we don't understand why and how. Okay. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. That's how long the shout will be. No one's going to have time to figure out what's going on. It will all of a sudden be upon us. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, this is, my, this is talking about our physical body, this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. Now, there's some important things that are going to happen on the earth when the Christians leave. When we're all caught up, some other things are going to happen on the earth. Scripture describes, as you read through here, describes a, I'm going to call it for now, a force of, of this restraining force that's present. And, and this restraining force that's present is restraining the revealing of the, the Antichrist, a character that's described in the last days. It, it, and it is restraining all kinds of evil. And many Bible scholars, uh, and I wouldn't put myself into that category, but I would just say I would agree with many Bible scholars um, agree that, it, it, that, that when Christians are taken out of the earth, the Holy Spirit's going with them. That's the restraining force, the Holy Spirit. And uh, that's, that's God's Spirit who dwells with and in believers. Once Christians are taken out and the Holy Spirit goes with them, that restraining ends you read about that in 2 Thessalonians 2. And with that restraining force gone, a man will come who will assume power in the world and known as the Antichrist. And then when that happens, a clock starts ticking. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. Scripture describes a seven-year period. Um, and it's in many passages in the scriptures. I won't go into it today. But here's what's going to happen. 2 Thessalonians 2, 4. It says, he speaking of the Antichrist, opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God and object of worship. Okay, someone's going to assume world power, and he's going to put himself above every so-called God, including Allah, 
How will that go over in the Muslim world? Well, here's how it will go over, them, go over with them. The Muslims will believe he's the 12th imam. They're expecting him. And that's who they'll think is this. The Jews are going to believe that this is the Messiah. That's how twisted things are going to become. After the restraining force of the Holy Spirit departs the earth. And Jesus predicts this. He says this, uh, John 5, 43. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. The world, many of the world reject Jesus. Yet if another man comes in his own name, you will accept him. And then there is scripture says there's going to be a covenant between the Antichrist and Israel. He's going to let them rebuild their temple and they're going to start doing the sacrifices they were doing before and things are going to be going swimmingly. They will say, peace, peace in the Middle East and you won't believe it. It's like that kind of things will be going on. And then at the middle point, Scripture describes it at three and a half years into the seven-year time period, the midpoint. This Antichrist is going to reveal his two true colors. And then after thousands of years of God's perfect love being rejected by mankind, things in the world are going to go very, very bad, very, very fast. The sovereign God, the guy who created the earth, and everything in it, the, the author of love who gave his son and allowed Jesus to pay the price for my sin and for yours, only to have Jesus rejected by so many people who would choose the world, really, over, over life. And then this is what happens. It's described in Romans chapter 1. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And the tribulation, that time period that we call the tribulation is a tribulation because at that moment the Lord pours righteous wrath upon a world, upon the world. And God never wanted it to get to this. He never wanted it to get to this. Jesus told us in John 3, he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. And 1 Thessalonians 5, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The God will protect anyone from wrath who will call on the name of Christ as Savior. Romans 8 goes on and it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because though Christ, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life, set me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin is this. Here are the laws. Keep them all or else you're a sinner. Any small one, you, 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 you disqualify. The law of Christ releases me from that. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son and in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. And here is what God has been promising to anyone who will call on the name of Christ as savior. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. As a follower, we get to claim the righteousness of Christ, not the righteousness of our works, which will fail. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, 
He who raised Christ from the dead will also give, you, give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. That's good news. Amen. By the way, this is for Christians, mind you. This is for true Christians. This is not for pretenders. It's not for professors. It's for possessors. People who possess the Holy Spirit. It's for the genuine and the true. People who claim to know Christ, but there's no fruit. There's, no, there's never been any change in their life. There's, they're, they're just living a lie. That's what's described having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. We read before, those people will be left behind. The, Lord's, the Lord calls those who are truly his. So the last question is this. What do you do if you miss the rapture? I hope none of you need the answer to this question, but I'm going to tell you so you can share it with someone else if you need to. If you miss the rapture, you will experience the tribulation. You will go through the great tribulation. There's no turning back. You'll go through. And listen, here's the scary part. If you miss the rapture, you may miss heaven forever. Well, you know, I've actually heard this response. You know, well, Terry, you know, okay, um, if I miss the rapture, then I'll know that it was true and I will give my heart to Jesus and I'll get squared away and I'll, I'll, I'll come in. You know, my, my, my clothes might be flaming, but I'll make it. Okay, I've had that discussion with people. Maybe. The Bible says that many people will get saved during the tribulation. You study it out. There are very special circumstances. There's, there will be some that get saved. But I really don't believe there will be a lot of people um, getting saved during the tribulation like us. People, people who have been in churches and who have heard the gospel time and time again, heard the truth and, and the life, but have blown it off and blown it off and ignored it. I don't think those people are going to be saved during the tribulation, and I'll tell you why. John, Jesus, these are the words of Jesus in John chapter 6. He says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. If God doesn't draw you, you cannot get saved. That's what Jesus is telling us here. You can't get saved. If the Holy Spirit doesn't pull on your heart, doesn't show you that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and, and, and doesn't show you that no one comes to the Father but through him, you can't get saved. We can't just get saved anytime we jolly well please. It has to be a work of God. Second, Second Thessalonians is talking about the, the restraining force that's being, that will be removed, talking about the Holy Spirit. He who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. That's the Antichrist. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all powers, signs, and lying wonders. People, that's why people will believe he's sent from God. He's going to be able to do things. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Now, question is, why are they deceived? They're deceived because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. They refuse to receive the truth. And scripture goes on to say, and for this reason, God will send them strong delusion. God will no longer pull people towards himself, but then he will start to push away. Okay. Saying that they should believe a lie, that they may all be condemned who did not believe, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The fact that it takes 
God to get saved confronts the oldest and biggest spiritual lie ever. And that is this. You don't need God to get saved. You can do it on your own. It's just a lie. Once you make that your philosophy, your life, and you say, okay, I can do this without Jesus, there comes a point where God says, okay, that's your decision. Then you walk in that decision, refusing the truth. Scripture says, you will then believe what is false. I think that's going to be true for literally millions of people who sat in, over the years in Bible t- t- preaching churches all over because they said no to the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, there is no more call, no more pull, no more knock. So what is the message of the rapture? Here's the rapture, the message boiled down into a sentence. You can't get ready. You have to be ready. And now is the time for you to be ready. Right now. One day that moment will come. Nobody knows when the day will be. But we do know that today, today is the day of opportunity. For the Lord himself will descend with heaven with a shout. I believe, it's my opinion, this is just my opinion, it's just my hope, that when that shout comes, what every believer will hear in that shout is going to be my name. I'm going to hear my name. You will hear your name. Dan! Sorry to single you out. But our name. If you've never come to know Christ as Savior, today is the day to put your faith concerning your eternity into the hands of the king who loves you and wants to bless you. Today is the day to make sure that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Please don't go home without doing this. I'm not asking you to join the church. We're going to close our eyes and we're going to pray, but I want to tell you what I'm going to do. Keep your eyes open for a minute, okay? We're going to pray and right now the Holy Spirit is drawing and calling and knocking on hearts saying, come on, come to salvation, come to heaven. Let, my, let eternity be sealed for you. And scripture says that all who call on the name of Christ will be saved. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he was risen from the dead and, he, and you call on the name of Christ, you'll be saved. It's not how good you perform in life. You can't perform good enough. You can't. So I'm going to pray. And while eyes are closed, there's going to come a moment where I'm going to say, if you want to open your heart to the Lord, have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, sealed for eternity, look up at me just so I can agree with you, okay? And I might even ask you to show me your hand. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. But I want to give you a point where you can say, I made a decision at this point to surrender my heart to the King. Okay, so with Christians, everybody now, Christians be praying. Would you all close your eyes and let's pray. Lord. I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that you love us more than we can know. And I want to thank you, Lord, that you take, you take our calls. You'll stop what you're doing in heaven because you love us that much. Now, as the Spirit is speaking, as today is the day of our salvation, today is the opportunity because we can't get ready, we have to be ready. And there are people, Lord, that today you, that you are calling them to put their faith and their trust in you and in Jesus to make sure our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Lord, move upon hearts, I pray. Eyes closed. If, you're, if you are opening your heart to the Lord today, just look up at me and let me just agree with you in prayer. Make sure I see you by waving your hand at me. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you too, man. Good, cho- good choice. 
Scripture says your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. God bless you. God bless you too. Any others? I don't want to miss anybody. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you too. Lord, you're the Lord of miracles. You can take a broken down man like me and change my heart. That's a miracle. The fact that you stop what you're doing to listen to our hearts, even though you already know and your plans, Scripture says that you have for us a future and a hope. Thank you, Lord, for that. Now, Lord, I pray that for those who have opened their hearts to you, Lord, that you will show yourself to them. Scripture says that you order the steps of the righteous. Thank you that these names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Lead us, Lord, in the ways that you would have for us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to say to you also, to those of you that open your heart to the Lord, you don't have to figure this out on your own. I'm not going to try and get you to join the church or anything, but want to help you. There will be people, if you'd like, at the end of the service that will be on either side of the, of the platform, pastors and leaders in the church that I trust, who can help you with it and give you a note of encouragement from, from me and Lisa. And uh, so God bless you and thank you for being here on Easter. Amen. Death, where is-